Hello, welcome back to Move This World with Sarah, conversations in social emotional learning. I recently spoke with Jill Nicolation, the founder and CEO of Juniper Park TBWA, an award-winning advertising agency. As two CEOs who are also mothers, we bonded over various challenges and talked about how there is no way of finding a balance between work and life, but rather a blurring. And when Jill spoke of how it helps her to think of change as a natural part of life, like the seasons, it reminded me of the centering exercise where we describe our emotions as the weather. We spoke about how since our bodies are porous, we absorb both good things like nutrients as well as bad things like toxins. But our minds are porous too, and we absorb both good and bad energies from the environments and people we choose to have in our lives, which in turn affect our physical selves. By focusing on people, places, and even ideas that fueled her rather than depleted her, Jill brought a positive energy into her life. I was impressed with the courage it took Jill to take the actions needed to bring about real change. Choosing to let go is hard, and fear of the unknown can trap us. Jill shared with me how difficult it was to choose to end certain relationships, including her marriage, and the fears that drove her. But through intentionality and mindfulness, she's keeping her energy clear. I am so thrilled to be sitting here with Jill Nicolation, champion of mental health and wellness at work. We've had so much fun even leading up to this conversation that I thought before we dive in to this discussion, we could take a moment, Jill, to report on how we're feeling in this moment as if we were weather reporters. So describing how we're feeling in our emotional state as if it were the weather. So for example, in Sarah land today, it is partly cloudy. It's pretty windy. The sun is really working hard to break through the clouds. We were warned of a ferocious torrential downpour this afternoon, but Everyone, bring your sunglasses with you and leave those umbrellas at home because I really think the rain is going to pass us by and we're going to have a sunny afternoon. Jill, what's the weather in your land? Wow. (laughs) It's a pleasure to be here. That's a great opening (laughs) question. Okay. So in Jill land, well, we've had some gray skies and also some torrential storms, but it's starting to break. And I can see the sun peeking out. And as I look long-range forecast, I see about 14 days of sunshine. So crack open the shorts and the t-shirts because that gray sky is lifting. Amazing. Thank you for sharing. Such a helpful way for us to be able to check in with ourselves and know what we're each carrying into this conversation. One of my favorite things that you said was that everything is a transfer of energy. Things are either fueling you or depleting you. And I love this idea of a transfer of energy. And for me, it dates back to the first silent retreat that I ever did. First, it was five days and then worked up to a longer 10-day, 12-day. And one of the key requirements of the silent retreat was you couldn't make eye contact with other people because the guide said that when you made eye contact with others, you were actually 
to use your language, transferring energy and taking on the emotional state of someone else. So I'm just so curious to hear more about that from you and how you recognize a positive transfer of energy and a negative transfer of energy. Okay. Well, thank you. I'd start with the headline of, I realized about six years ago, we as humans are porous. We absorb everything. We absorb our environment. We absorb the people we're with. We absorb the foods we eat. We absorb our environments. And so I became very aware and then very choiceful as to what do I choose to have in my orbit, in my environment, because it does matter and it matters for each of us. And I take that for my family. I take that for myself. And I take that for my team at work is be very choiceful. Who's in it? What are we doing? And then as I talk to my team a lot about how we show up matters. And I mean our behaviors, I mean our vibe. Are you aware that your vibe transfers? And if we understand that we're porous, then you have to be responsible for the energy you bring to each interaction. And I think we really learned that through the pandemic when all we had was video. And a lot of times we were frustrated or we were flat when we're selling advertising ideas to clients. Like, do you realize how you're showing up? You want them to be inspired. But if you're coming in flat, you're transferring that energy. So so that's what I mean by everything is energy. And, and we know that because we'll meet somebody and go, oh my gosh, I just love their vibe. Or we go, oh, I just, every time I see them, I'm lifted. Or we'll see someone go, oh my gosh, every time I meet them, I kind of have a doubt. So we know this. We know this to be true and intuitively. And so to become aware and to be responsible for how you show up. And that's what I say to my team, like, are you aware? And if you're not vibing high, if you're not coming in, because we all have off days or off moments, then to declare it. And I know we have a presentation and someone's, oh, Jill, I, I can throw energy your way or I can take that for you. So we talk openly about that, just becoming aware of that. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the things in your life that fuel you? I also love the image of our lives being porous too. That really resonated with me, mm-hmm. soaking in our surroundings. What are the things that fill you up? Things that fill me up. So people, I am really choiceful of the people that I surround myself with. As I've gotten older, I am more choiceful. And it's okay to let friendships end. You don't have to do be dramatic, but you can be choiceful. Movement matters. I run. I do Pilates. So moving stress, making sure things flow and aren't stagnant. Spending time alone. I'm a big extrovert, but I do know and I appreciate the power of being alone. Stilling my brain, either through meditation or through mindfulness, doing something where I get so into flow that I lose track of time and I'm really into something. So that could be something artistic or even gardening. I have an infrared sauna in my house, so spending time actually detoxing. I make sure that my energy keeps clearing. You have to make time for it. I'm a single mom. I have a big job, but you have to make sure you fit it in. Mm-hmm. And what about the things that deplete you? I think that it's probably easier for folks to acknowledge what mm. fills us up. But the idea of drawing the line in the sand and saying, you know what? This relationship, this person, this responsibility mm-hmm. that I've told myself is a responsibility but is not actually important or obligatory. Yeah is depleting me and having the Mm -hmm. confidence to walk away from it 
can be really hard. So how do you recognize what is actually depleting you and is a negative transfer of energy? Well, it's what you just said. You actually feel it. And once you start feeling, do I really want to be here? Am I really enjoying this? And some things you're not supposed to enjoy, like going to the dentist, it's important, but you're not supposed to have fun there. But you go, no, but this is important. So not everything has to be uber positive. Sometimes it's just, it's important and you understand that. If you really start tapping into how do I feel in this moment? Do I like being here? Does it feel congruent with who I am? Do I feel like I need to shake it off after I'm done? It's really becoming aware of how do I feel and how did I get here? Did I say yes out of default? Did I say yes out of necessity? Did I say yes out of fear? And to your point, saying yes is so easy. Saying no is so Mm -hmm. hard. Once you start doing it, it does get easier. Especially decisions driven by fear. I'm glad you mentioned that. Fear is Mm -hmm. such a powerful, all-consuming driver of our behavior. And one of the questions I had for you, and I'm glad you mentioned it, this idea of saying no to people in relationships and really recognizing them as being depleting. I was curious if there have ever been any fallouts when you've made edits or cuts, especially with regard to people or relationships? Like what has been the impact of you choosing to walk away at times? Yeah, it's a good question. And I have edited. I think each of us either have or should edit because we change and we evolve and we grow. Notice those moments where things are ending and it's okay. I think I use nature as a great metaphor for Things are always changing in nature. Seasons, especially you're in New York, I'm in Toronto, where we have four seasons. And flowers bloom and they're glorious and then they fade and then they go into hibernation and then they come back again. We don't think anything of nature coming and going in its seasons. We can have those too. And I find Mm -hmm. in great changes, either in relationships or client relationships, when things are naturally trying to wind up, I accept it. So it's mm-hmm. getting easier with time. But first I'm like, I'm going to choose to accept it and say, let it close with grace and gratitude. Thank you. You served your purpose. I'm grateful for that. I'm going to let you go. And then be really curious as to, I wonder what this is making room for. So why do you think that's so hard for most people, the idea of letting go or recognizing depleting experiences? I know that I've spoken at length with someone about this idea of nostalgia hoarding and holding on to Mm. and actually hoarding memories that prevent us from fully living in the present and catapulting ourselves forward because our perspective and what we're holding on to or our energy is so focused on the past. Why do you think the act of letting go is so hard. A couple of things that come to mind for me is I think, I go back to the word fear. For simplistic sake, I go fear or love. Those are your two poles. There's other ones, of course, but I go, it's probably out of fear, right? So it's fear of, but what if it's never better than this? But what, it, it's fear of the unknown because we as creatures crave security. It's just knowing feels safe. Unknowing It can be uncomfortable because you go, what if it's bad? What if it's uncertain? What if it never gets better than this? One of the things I say to myself and to my team is, just because you can't see around the corner doesn't mean it's scary. It just means you can't see. 
around the corner. What if around the corner is awesome? We try and predict to protect. Our brains go to the worst case scenario. And so clear things up. You do it with our kids or even as parents. You think, oh my gosh, you're 10 minutes late for your curfew. And my mom would always go, I thought you were dead. I'm like, I was just 10 minutes late. Why did you go there? You know, <laughs> it's like, what? Now I'm dead in a ditch. Because you mentally prepare for something horrible because everything better than that is okay. And so if you think of that is change or letting go is hard, but I'm divorced. Choosing to end that marriage was hard. What if I'm alone forever? What if I hurt my child? What if it's really hard? What if, what if, what if? I think it's fear of not knowing, but I just try and relax. Like almost if you take your hands, I'm right now I'm squeezing my hands super tight. And we often do that going, we hold on because what I have is so certain. But what if we just relax our hands and go, I am open to what comes next. And I'm going to trust that what comes next is actually going to be good for me. Maybe it's going to come in a form that I couldn't predict but maybe it's going to be awesome. If the worst case scenario is plausible, then we need to leave room for the best case to also be plausible because both of them are made up. And if we're going to run down the rabbit hole of worst case, then you owe it to yourself to run down the awesome side too. Absolutely. And especially as leaders or as entrepreneurs, the whole idea of cultivating creativity and innovation is often beyond sight. So you have to let go and be able to imagine what's beyond your vision and what you can see in order to create something new. So if we couldn't do that, we couldn't create new things in the world. The other kind of key, yes, for me when I was reading about your work was this idea of reducing inflammation. I love these images as you talk about your both, I think, personal and professional sustainability and the seasons and the transfer of energy resonated with me because as a mom of two small, soon to be three small children, I think a lot about the seasons of life and the transfer of energy. And I'm in a very heavy family season right now where there are other pieces of myself that have fallen by the wayside. Like it's a lot harder to keep up with certain friendships, but that's okay. Cause I know it's a season and it's finite and they'll be there when the season changes. So this other idea of inflammation really resonated with me. And can you just talk a little bit about how you came up with this unique term and what happened in your own life to lead to the revelation of reducing inflammation in work and in life. Mm. I was unwell six years ago. I was just so tired. I think a lot of people can relate. <laughs> I was so tired, but I was so tired. And people like I, doctors, oh, it's because big job. And I, was, I travel the world and responsible for my people. And I like to run hard and I like to try a lot of things. And I was like, no, I think I'm more tired than that. A good night's sleep or a short vacation isn't going to fix this when I'm tired to the core. Long story short, did some tests and I realized I was riddled with inflammation and filled with toxins because my liver and kidneys weren't working that well. And so I was hanging on to toxins, but I was riddled with inflammation. Ugh. I hadn't heard that word really before. I never applied it to myself. So my body was in this chronic inflammation where, where everything was fighting so hard. And when you're in that fight or flight mode for a long period of time, you don't absorb nutrients. So I, I learned about inflammation literally. When you're inflamed, fight or flight, your digestion doesn't really work. So you can eat as healthy as you want. It's not going to you. So I had to change my lifestyle. 
I fell over into a cast iron flower pot and broke my front teeth off and put a carving knife through my hand. And I was exhausted to the inside. And in order to restore myself, my doctor said, we have to fix your organs. We have to replenish you. You need to learn how to meditate. And I won't see you if you don't. You need to restore always all things. And so I had to study what that meant. And as I learned about inflammation on the body, I have a professional coach too, and he taught me to see it as a metaphoric lesson as well. He said, your body is not just inflamed, but your environment is inflamed. And this is when I realized, and this is when I thought, oh, we're porous. We had toxicity in our workplace. We had internal fighting. We all have competitors in business, but what we had was internal competition too, where we were competing within the inside. And the internal competitor is the most fiercest competitor. When you're in either in a family or in a friendship or in a business where people are actually competing with you and they seek pleasure out of beating you, let's say, it's incredibly toxic. I ask people to really think about that hard scrub out internal competition. So I realized we're porous. I went through my entire environment and said, if I'm going to get better quickly and for long-term, I need to take a look at all aspects. And so I restructured my and reorganized my firm and we exited some senior people and I brought in a more feminine energy. And I don't mean ma- male, female. I meant we switched it from masculine to feminine. And I really evolved how I parent I changed some friendships. And also the things like when I travel, I used to fly in. So from Toronto to Los Angeles, that's five hours. And I'd go in, I'd literally have an hour and a half meeting and I'd fly home. Like, what am I doing? Go, no, I'm going to fly in. I can maybe work from my hotel room, but I'm going to give myself a chance to catch my breath, but not run so hard. But then also just think, what music am I listening to? Am I silent enough? Who replenishes me? That's one of the things my coach pushed me hard on. You spoil so many people, Jill. Who refuels you? And I was like, I I don't even know. (laughs) I don't ever thought of it that way. You have to think about that. And so, you know, chose my circle more, more carefully. Thank you for sharing all of that. I think that oftentimes it takes an event, a crossroads to really catapult us to that kind of behavior change, unfortunately, that most of us are not Very. born thinking this way it's or so prioritizing true. it, or maybe if we're lucky to have grown up in families that truly model that and emphasize that. Mm-hmm. And so that's the hope that the next generation will. But for many of us, there is that aha moment. And mm-hmm. there's the saying that it's very lonely at the top. And you hear that all the time, but it is so true. And it is our responsibility to fiscally be responsible for our teams, but also emotionally, culturally, and who can do that for us. And even just asking that question is so critical. Personally, Mm -hmm. I have always struggled with the expression of work-life balance. In my experience, it's never a perfect balance. (laughs) It's never a perfect balance. It ebbs and flows. There are seasons where it is what it is. And I'm just in it with work. That's the season. And there are certain personally mission critical activities or behaviors that I will not compromise on, like my children, my husband, exercise, meditation. But there are other things that are going to fall by the wayside, like 
calling a friend. Like it's just not going to happen in that season. So I'm curious your take on the expression work-life balance. Do you think it's truly possible? How do you think about balance versus integration? I don't use the word balance. Language is important mm-hmm. and because it shapes a narrative in our head and, and it shapes beliefs and beliefs shape behaviors. I try my best to be very precise with language and I don't like the word mm-hmm. balance in this case because balance mm-hmm. implies equal. If something's balanced, it's equal and it's not possible. I use the word blur because it, it's all going to, my hands are all like, <laughs> it's all going to get intertwined. <laughs> And, and whatever my sense of blur for me will be different than your sense of blur because my situation is different than yours. I have an 18-year-old daughter. She knows that I have a special ring for her. And it's, you call anytime in any meeting, I will pick that up. So just know that otherwise text is good, but you need me, I'll always pick up. Any time zone, any whatever. How we connect given our rhythm is unique to us and it works for us. There's some seasons I'm pitching something large and you got to be all in. And it's a season you just go, I'm going to go for it. And then I also have my inner circle of friends who I just know I can do a quick text, doesn't need to be formal. And I also have friends going, I'm in a big, I'm in a busy period or I'm pitching something large or we have a big program to crack. This week's crazy. They go, see you on the other side, Jill. And we just understand because they will do that too. Or like, you know, I'm really big sending you virtual hugs, really just accepting that people ebb and flow and everyone's got their their things. I like blur. Like I find ways to fit it all in and it'll be different from week to week. Balance, that phrase says that they're separate where I go, I'm just going to integrate it and it's going to ebb and flow. And I think this idea of when we're all working from home, we realize integration. Like I can throw laundry in while I'm on a phone call with somebody. Balance says it's two different zones of my brain. I can maybe do something while prepping dinner. Mm-hmm. Language is important and balance implies something that I don't think any of us ever believed was achievable. I agree. And I don't think men see it that way. I think it's it, it still falls on a female responsibility there still. Yeah, I totally agree. Speaking of the return to work and hybrid work, you created these pirate huddles once a week mm-hmm. where you don't necessarily talk about the business, but you're talking about yourself. Mm-hmm. How did this come about? And could you take us through a typical pirate huddle? Mm-hmm. It started the first week of the pandemic when we sent everyone home. And I thought, as a leader, I make sure everyone's okay. Different people handle stress differently. Stabilizing people's emotional states is important, whether it's friends, kids or your family or employees. So we didn't know how long we're going to be away. So what I quickly did was, okay, we're all going to meet. And in TBWA, which is an advertising firm, our language is pirates. Apple's one of our largest clients. And Steve Jobs always said, it's better to be a pirate than in the Navy when he was a client of ours. And, and so we embrace that. So we call them pirate huddles. We're all in 160 different places, literally. We're still a team, but we're going to bind ourselves together as a team energetically. Turn your cameras on. We're all okay. We've got this. We can see into each other's homes. Is everybody okay? So we were incredibly busy and with a good fortune of being so successful. But I said, they need us to be creative. At the very moment where you could be scared out of your mind, which you, know, you don't want people to is fight, flight, or freeze. If you freeze, we're in trouble because they're hiring us to be creative and to get them out of this. So I said is in this moment where we're supposedly standing still, you can't be bored, scared, or numb. If you numb your way through Netflix and wait for this moment to end, 
you won't be well and our business won't be well and our clients need us. So we are going to spend every Thursday growing in the stillness and we're going to be okay. Five business days later, you're probably going to need another boost and we're going to go, how can we keep growing versus freezing? Because I could see some people, not in our team necessarily, but I could see clients were freezing. And I thought, if I can see my clients freezing, I wonder if my staff are freezing or my staff's My employees' loved ones could be freezing. So how do I give them awareness and tools to keep growing in the stillness, stay creative and inspired? When we're in Toronto, we were locked down for almost seven months. We were one of the most locked down cities in the world. So how do I keep everyone performing, even for their own sakes, and thriving while staying still? That was my motivation. This fundamental need to be seen is so important. I'm working away on my computer screen, doing this stuff. I used to see everybody every day and advertising, you know, we, you, you get a lot of fuel from each other and ideas. And now I'm just working alone by myself, doing my thing. I can't shadow anybody. I'm not, I don't know if I'm growing. I don't know if I'm valued. I wonder if this is how my team feels. Does anybody know what I'm doing over here? Does anybody see me? So we need to see each other. And so we created a system. So every Thursday, let's see each other and talk to our leadership team. And then we started a really important thing on Thursdays. And huddles are about more than this. But an important part that is key is we call them the shout outs. And is to show, I see you and I'm grateful for you. And we say this, person's name. I'm grateful that you did this because it had an impact on me of that. I'm so proud of my team. Mm. They've embraced this. And so when people get sloppy, they go, no, no, the format. You have to say, Sarah, I am so grateful that you invited me on here to speak with you and your listeners to pay forward my wisdom. It has an impact on me because I too have been on the receiving end of wisdom that has shaped my life. And people have said little things that just struck me in a moment. And the opportunity for me to do that for somebody else means the world to me because paying things forward is important to me. Thank you. My team does that. That's how they talk every single week. It's so beautiful because we're all still home, but they feel valued. They feel seen. And it feels awesome to give gratitude and it feels amazing to receive it. So it's got a dual benefit. That's exquisite. I'm curious. Mm -hmm. So at Move This World, we have a similar practice where pre-pandemic, when we were all in the office every day, we had something called Move This Day, where every day at 1230, we try to not schedule calls or meetings and take 10 to 15 minutes and facilitate an exercise from our curriculum on ourselves. And it's really powerful because there are mornings that go by where I don't, even though we're sharing space in an open office, I haven't had the opportunity to make eye contact with someone and just say like, how are you this morning or what's going on? So that's our opportunity to check in. The act of emotional vulnerability can be really uncomfortable for folks. It doesn't come naturally to everyone. So I'm just curious, has there been any resistance, less so to the gratitude practice, but more to this idea of these pirate huddles where folks are invited to be vulnerable, to be seen? I think I'd say resistance or hesitancy is maybe a better word than pushback. They're voluntary. So if you if it's not your thing, you don't have to come. But most people come. There's hesitancy at times. Like even had someone new join, he, he, British, and he's like, Jill, I'm British. We really don't do that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, we really don't. I'll, I'll come. Just please don't call me. So I said, just come. You can just listen. And then lo and behold, look who's 
doing shout outs and he's, oh, I'm getting teary. When people show him out, there's hesitancy. But then I also have people go, my spouse listens on the other side. They love Thursdays because it's 4.30 to 5 or 5.15. And they go, my spouse listens. I hope that's okay. I'm like, yeah, it's not business. So of course. They go, and then we talk about it over dinner. I know that our experience in at least doing this work in terms of workshops and sessions, as I always think about the 80-20 rule, that 20% of a group will be a little bit more resistant or uncomfortable, but then give them time and they want to be the 80% that's connecting, laughing, playing, crying, even feeling. Feeling. And just how we show up as leaders is so important. People watch us, whether we want to admit it or not, they watch us for good, for bad. And it's the same as being a parent. Our kids watch us. And my coach says often, like, turn down the volume, watch the behaviors. Like, our, our kids watch our behaviors. And they say, it's what you do, not what you say, and that sort of thing. So showing that, hey, through the pandemic, I'm really tired today. Guys, I was up late homeschooling my kid because we're in a pandemic. That other parents go, oh, okay, so she understands. I don't need to have them see it, but giving cues, I understand what you're going through too, because I have my own version of that. Version is the same, for example, or trying to grow through this, or I I would come on and say like, I screwed up today. When I were in the pandemic, I I was like six months in, I was so tired and we had an internal meeting and someone was grating on my nerves for right or wrong. And And I snapped in the meeting and I, oh God, I was not kind. And I stopped the meeting and I said, I just need to stop this meeting. The way I said that was unkind and I'm really sorry. No, no, do not shoo it away. I snapped at you unfairly. It's not about you. I'm tired. I'm depleted. Doesn't make it right. But please know it wasn't about you. And I want to apologize to you, but also everyone who just witnessed that. And then, and then, and they're like, oh, okay. And then I sit it in the huddle. Oh, I know, you know, today I, I snapped at somebody and I'm sure it's going to happen. We're human. Please make sure you apologize as close to the moment as possible. It, it's okay to apologize. It's okay to say, I probably could have done that a little bit better. That's showing vulnerability. I don't need them to say anything back, but rather I'm not perfect either. This is hard. I find it goes a long way. Totally. Well, having you model it from the top and see oh, Jill's doing that, then as a leader, I should be doing that too, or I should be thinking about that. And what does that mean for my team? And showing it as a strength, to your point, Sarah, showing it as, oh, I actually think hopefully more of her as a leader for owning that versus because she's a leader, she thinks she's above it all. My coach drills it into me. What part of this do I own? And own it. And owning your glitches and owning your errors I think it's a sign of strength and it clears the air really quickly rather than if you think they didn't notice, of course they noticed. Of course they're still like, and then they they like, oh, don't get on Jill's bad side. Kindness is a really big part of how we operate in our lead. And I actually said to the team, we're going to put kindness at the forefront. And if that's uncomfortable, that's fine. Kindness is going to be a big way of how we lead because we have to know we have each other's backs. And I think that's also a philosophy just in life that you can go as Given how I'm wired, given what my gifts are, how can I help? And this paying things forward to me is so important. And we underestimate sometimes what our gifts are, what our natural gifts are, and how do you extend them forward? But every business can actually take a look at that or every person, every family. Given what we have, given what we do, how do I help? 
Jill, I feel like I could talk to you for days and we would still have more to discuss. So thank you so much for sharing so personally and openly with us today. I'm really grateful to you for your time and your wisdom and your sharing. Let's take an opportunity to close in the spirit of gratitude and how you have cultivated that personally and in your organization. Let's just take a moment to identify something big or small that we're feeling grateful for right now in this moment, after this conversation, and share that out through either a word or phrase. For me, as soon as you said that, the word that came up for me is community. And I mean that in small C and big C. And speaking with you and you inviting me into your community, community is essential. Connecting is essential. The last two years have made so many things so clear. And that sense of being aware of your community, caring, never underestimating how your impact, everything is energy and things ripple through your community. And so be choiceful. And how do I do that? How do I show up for good? And how do I put a ripple forward for good into my community? That's what came up for me in terms of gratitude because I'm grateful that I get to come to this community and just we'll chat with you and hopefully put some, some thought-provoking things out there for people maybe to whatever fits, take a little snippet and move something forward. I'm feeling grateful for leadership, for pioneering, groundbreaking leaders like you, Jill, who are choosing to really emphasize well-being at a time when it's truly critical and hopefully model new ways of behavior for emerging leaders, emerging parents, young people who can really recognize the power of prioritizing wellness, community, connection in their lives. So thank you. I'm feeling particularly grateful for your leadership in this work. Mm, Thank you. I think this moment in time has really reinforced for me that performance doesn't have to come at the expense of kindness and support and compassion can actually fuel performance. And I am running a business and I have deliverables too. What has really come clear for me is kindness can fuel performance. And that is true in families. That is true in communities. When people feel safe, they can then be brave to go and do extraordinary things. When we don't feel safe, we don't feel seen, we don't feel supported, we shrink. The opposite is true. When we feel safe, we feel seen, we feel supported. We go off and do extraordinary things. And we just have to look to our kids to see that. When they know you're cheering them on and you love them anyway, who cares how they played, they go off and they take risks. You know, We see that with their employees too. When they go, no, I believe in you. They go off and do extraordinary things. That was this moment has really showed me. We had our best two years since inception 15 years ago, in the hardest two years, in the kindest two years. Congratulations. Amazing. Thank you, Jill, for joining us today. Thank you, Sarah, for having me. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Move This World with me, Sarah Potler-Lahane. Before you go, wherever you are right now, 
join me for one final breath and hold in your mind a word or phrase that you are taking away from this conversation. Breathe in and out. At Move This World, we know social and emotional wellness is necessary, relevant, and impacts our everyday lives at school, in our homes, at our workplaces, and in our relationships. The tools we need to develop are critical for our happiness and success as individuals and as communities. Together, we can create a world where everyone belongs. To explore more ways to move this world, visit us at movethisworld.com or follow us on Twitter at move underscore this world. If you liked this episode, please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast was produced by Jonathan Jacobson and Seaplane Armada. I cannot wait to move this world with you.